Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Muslim Cedric podcast where we hope to educate, inspire and entertain on issues relevant to Muslim life and I'm your host Aman. Our next series is called Cradle to the Grave and it's a discussion with Scottish-born Islamic scholar Sheikh Amr Jamil on the journey of life from the time we are born to the point when we leave this earth. We recorded this episode to equip and prepare ourselves with the knowledge we need to navigate these important aspects of life and more often than not we think of these important life issues after the event. These discussions were originally broadcast on Radio Ramadan Glasgow in Ramadan 2017 and you can find out more on their website at www.rr365.co.uk. I'd like to apologise in advance for some of the quality of the recordings. As the shows were broadcast late night live during Ramadan, you may hear some mouse clicking in the studio, some dry mouths and occasionally noises of us eating our suhoor, as the time for fajr would often start during the show due to the lengthy Scottish fast during the summer. Alhamdulillah. The topics we'll cover in the coming episodes include marriage, parenting, childhood abuse, old age, death and bereavement, And unfortunately, we've lost the first episode on birth, and that was due to a technical issue. Coming on to this episode, this is marriage part one, and we discuss a number of topics, including what to look for in a spouse, family conflict, dealing with someone's past, personalities in marriages, prenuptials, living with the in-laws, and when would be the right time to move out. We had questions from the listeners, including should dads change nappies? Uh, What about announcing an engagement? Intimacy in Marriage and Divorce. The shows are hosted by myself, Dr. Aman, and uh, my colleague Umaran Amin. And our guest, as I mentioned earlier, is Sheikh Amr Jamil, and he's a co-founder of the iSyllabus Educational Programme, and he also is a family consultant at the Unity Family Services, and I'll leave details of his organisations in the episode notes. You can support the podcast by rating, reviewing, liking, and sharing it wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps others find the podcast too. And remember, we've got our social media channels on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, Um, so do please check them out and follow us. I hope you benefit from this episode and I look forward to speaking to you next time. Assalamu alaikum. I wanted to ask a question uh, on this pl- platform. If marital relationship does not exist between a husband and a wife for over several years, how long is the nikah valid for? What do you do if your husband not give you haq mahal? They say parents should lead by example, but what if your significant other half is not setting a good example in some aspects? For example, asking children to read namaz but not following that themselves. How then do you bring that tarbiyah into the children if it's stronger from one parent rather than both as a team? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum listeners. You're listening to Cradle to the Grave show. I'm joined by Sheikh Amr Jamil. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you so much for joining us. And I've got Umran Amin as well uh, joining us. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you very much. So, as you know, the Cradle to the Grave show is one that we've been doing at the weekends. And the idea is really to cover topics that are relevant to us as we go throughout life. Now, last week we talked about birth, uh, many issues to do with the birth rituals, contraception, um, miscarriage, stillbirth, terminations and abortions. Today, this evening, we're going to talk about marriage part one. It's a big juicy topic 
um, as you can imagine. So we'd really be keen to hear from the listeners in the sense that you mainly on social media, because um, our time is so limited, just till um, we'll be here until about 2am. Um, but hopefully we're going to cover a number of topics. As we know, as I said, it's marriage part one. So that implies that it'll be a part two next weekend covering various other aspects. But t- today we're going to talk a bit about really the, the process of finding a spouse, um, maintaining a healthy relationship, you know, the seven year itch, you know, when perhaps marriages are getting a bit stale, talking about remarriage, and we'll touch upon divorce as well. So, quite a lot of topics that inshallah we can cover. And uh, we're really honoured to have Sheikh Amr Jamil, as many of you will know. Sheikh Amr is not just um, one of the co founders of the iSyllabus course, but his other big specialty and focus is on family, family work, family therapy family law islamically as well and most of that is done through unity family services uh, sheikh also does courses throughout the year for people that are both uh, looking to get married but also people that are already married and looking to you know focus on you know maintaining a healthy marriage and par- partnership and um, so he's more than well qualified to, to discuss this topic so sheikh um, let's just get cracking really because obviously we're not going to cover your whole day course in an hour and a half um, so I'm going to perhaps touch on some areas and perhaps be um, guided by the listeners as well if they do want to post on social media and, and have any particular questions. But let's talk about the whole process from the beginning about finding a spouse. Now, as I was coming in, I was speaking to a young person and I said, look, what questions would you want to know about finding a spouse? And one of the things he said was, well, where do you start? You know, how do you find somebody? And he, he's still quite young, you know, coming towards the end of high school. Mm-hmm. So he's already thinking about it. So how, you know, I guess, what do you look for in a spouse and how do you start that process? And when's the right age to get married? Yeah, so alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Well, because I thought it was uh, <laughs> addressed to the listeners, but <laughs> wa alaikum salam. Um, so... The question you're asking, I mean, I actually spend a whole day exploring that whole question because I think from my experience, I found that very often when we go to maybe listen to a khutbah or listen to a talk, we're given very general advice. Um, however, with the way things are going in our time with the advance of so many cases of divorce, I started to look a lot more deeply at um, issues and why people end up in that kind of situation. And one of the first steps, like I said, I think in the last program was that you one way or one of the ways of preventing divorce is to ensure that people don't marry the wrong person. Um, so if you marry the right person in the first place, then the chance of that marriage um, surviving is going to be higher. If you've if you've married the wrong person from the word go, it becomes more difficult. It doesn't mean it can't be achieved, but it just becomes more difficult. So the first step would be let's help people right at the beginning. And um, like I said in that course, or like I discussed in the course, <clears throat> it's actually, if you want to do this properly, it's quite a... Uh, long, deep process. If you wanted, if you wanted to really do it properly, because one of the first questions we have in the course is, I ask, why do you want to get married? What is your intention behind getting married? Because as you know, the very first hadith in Bukhari is what? Actions are only but by intentions. 
and every person will have what they intended. So everything comes a bit down to the beginning. You have to start right from the beginning. Why do I want to even get married? What's my intention behind this? Because if you don't have that correct, then that can actually have an impl- uh, impact. And like I said to you, I think last week, um, I have so many conversations. I can't remember what I say when I say it. Um, but I was talking about a case where uh, it was a couple who had been married for 10 years, had three kids, and um, I could see that, you know, that they're, they're, they are quite different. And when I probed with the, the the guy and asked him, look, when you got married, what was your primary reason for getting married? And he, he said, I'll be very honest with you, Sheikh, it was purely for looks. You know, so some people <clears throat> have gone in just purely on the physical attraction. That is their impetus to get married. So when that... F- when that wears off or when that's no longer the case, then the reason or the foundation of that marriage is no longer there. So the first thing would be um, what to look for in a spouse. And the, the, the answer that you usually get when you ask somebody, if someone says, I'm looking to get married, the first thing I'll ask them, what are you looking for? And nearly nine times out of ten, they'll say to me, I'm looking for a good sister. Good practising sister. A good, well, I usually just get a good sister <laughs> or a good brother. So as the brother saying, I want a good sister, I understood two, th- two things from that. One, you're not looking for a brother. Okay, so that's one hurdle we've uh, overcome. And the second is you're not looking for a bad sister. Now, no one in the right mind is going to say, Sheikh, I'm looking for a bad sister. In fact, the, the, the badder, the better, right? They're obviously going to say, I want a good sister. So what I try and make them explain is that that comment doesn't, hasn't helped me one iota in understanding what do you want. And this is the problem with people because they don't know what they're looking for. They then people can't help them either because they're so vague. You know what is good to me is not good to you. It's not good to him. I mean, we're, we're, we're it's, it's about perspective, isn't it? How do you balance of what is good, what is practicing? I mean, it, it means different things to different people. So, so one of the things is is getting them to actually understand that yes, I know you've heard in in, uh, in marriage talks. You marry a woman for four reasons, and you know her wealth, her her beauty, her rank. But marry her for for her religion. What does that mean to you? We hear this hadith all the time, but what does that mean to you? So we try and break that down, go a lot more deeper into that actual topic, <coughs> because it means different things for different people. So a part of it is them becoming actually have a thought about this, because this is what it is. You know, I'm just looking for a good sister. Uh, and I said to people, you've not thought, you've not actually put any uh, thought into this. And this is a this is a decision that's going to affect the rest of your life. If you were if you were going to go to a university, right, to do a course, would you just say, eh, I'm just looking for a good university? Any uni- any good university will do. No, you you're going to do your research, aren't you? You're going to look at what are the, you know, what are the different universities, what kind of offer, courses do they offer, what's the job process, blah blah. So that's just a. That's just a, a, a something you're going to study. This is your life. This is the rest of your life. How much thought should go into that whole process? But even on that aspect, you know, <coughs> you know, when you, you know, from my experience, when you speak to people, often what they'll say is, look, if they, you know, so it's often when they're younger, you know, perhaps in the early twenties, and say, actually, I'm going to start off with somebody with all four of those criteria. So somebody who's wealthy, beautiful, got rank and piety. And then, you know, 10 years later, they're still kind of looking. But, you know, I guess what them and their parents and families might say, let's start off with aiming high. 
you know, let's try and get all of these aspects. And is that a reasonable approach to take? Because you might say, actually, if you, what are you looking for? I'm actually looking for a good sister who's wealthy, or, you know, and vice versa, obviously. But um, I think what the thing is, the thing is, what we do in the course is we try and get people to, okay, you've got all this criteria, but how do you, how do you prioritise it? What's more important than, than than the next thing? So. If you don't have that, then you're looking for 30 things. And until you find somebody's got those 30 things, you're not going to get married. So what if the person's got 25 things out of 30 things? What if they've got 20 things out of 30 things? You know, but not everything's the same rank. So you, so it's all about prioritising. And again, like I said, <clears throat> getting them away from this general statement of a good sister and just being specific. I'm actually looking for A, B, C, D, E, F, something very specific. But before you get to that point, you cannot... Do that until you understand yourself, and a lot of people don't actually understand themselves. What, what do you mean? Can you give an example? <clears throat> so I remember one of the th- one of the things that we did we did a, our counselling uh, certificate. A lot of it was based on self reflection, um, and making you understand yourself. So if a person doesn't understand what makes them tick, if a person doesn't understand what are their principles, what are their values then they're not going to know what kind of person should I be looking for. So once they understand themselves better, then they'll have a better idea, ah, okay, so this type of person is the kind of person is probably going to fit in with me. Then that helps them go to the next stage of, okay, what am I actually looking for? So there's a whole process of this. I mean, I'm just doing it very quickly now, but as a whole, I mean, I spent a whole day going through this and really making pe- helping people to home down into what is it that they are looking for because when you know if, if someone says to you um, I'm looking for a good sister I give you a good sister and say oh she's too short well you didn't tell me are you looking for a tall sister or a short sister or you know what I mean so what happens is people then just get fed up because it's like you know anyone I throw at you you just like got I've got this issue got that issue so from the beginning if you just told me four things or five things then at least I can think of okay who fits in with that Otherwise, if you just say to me a good sister, I'll send you half of Glasgow because I think everyone's good. <laughs> so where where does that fit in with, I guess, the expectations of the individual <clears throat> and the expectations of the family? Because even if somebody comes to understand, actually, this is what I'm looking for, their mum or their dad may very well have very, very different expectations of what they should be looking for. And that can often lead to conflict then, because if mum and dad are looking and finding people that fit their criteria but don't they don't fit your criteria, then that's going to lead to some conflict, isn't I it? I think there's a spectrum. There's a, there's a spectrum, right, where sometimes um, the parents are, 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 are fine. They're just saying, look, we want these kind of things have got to be there. Sometimes it's quite reasonable. Sometimes it's very unreasonable. There's got to be... Um, it has to be in this age... It has to be in this city, it has to be this particular career. You know, you, you, what you do is you home it down so much that, you know, you've got 10 people in the city that you can choose from. And if you don't find those 10, 10 people, then you've got a problem. So you do get people that get very pernickety and um, very unrealistic. And um, people need to be a bit more pragmatic. Look, at the end of the day, wake up, look in the mirror. And what do you see? You don't see somebody that's perfect. You see somebody got some good points, got some bad points. You So yourself have good points and bad points, but you, if you're looking for perfection, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in this world. You're, gonna, you're not going to get everything. And parents need to understand as well that they're not going to get everything just because a person does a particular career. And some people say we only marry doctors. 
You know, you're a doctor yourself. You know, when you're studying Muslims, you get some practicing Muslims. Some people were drinking alcohol. Some people were fornicating. You know, you get all sorts of people in that in that career. So there's no hadith about doctors will enter paradise before other people. You know, it's got nothing to do with what career you are. It's about the person's... And the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't focus on the person's career. He didn't say, marry people from this background. What was the the, the the emphasis? The emphasis was on good character, on the person's connection with God. Because ultimately that is what, um, you, you know, when you live with somebody, it's their character that you're going to live with. I had a, a very year, long time ago, there was a, a friend of the family who's a doctor, and she was married to a doctor, but he was violent towards her, and she left that marriage. So her marrying a doctor did not benefit her. Had she married someone of good character, yes, it would have benefited her. Maybe not been a doctor, but that's what she would have uh, benefited from. So it's the, it's the character you got to look at. Again, in an ideal world, yes, you want everything, but you've got to prioritize. And the thing is, if you're saying, well, it's like um, one brother said, Sheikh, I'm looking for. He said to this, not me. Said to another Sheikh, he said, um, I'm looking for someone who's you know extremely beautiful, extremely wealthy. Extremely educated, extremely respectful, extremely this, extremely that. And he goes, uh, brother, he goes, if, if I found a sister like that, I'd marry her myself. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, which planet do you live on? Have you ever actually looked at your Bhutan in the, in the, in the mirror? You know? But what, what, what happens? I mean, I guess in a, an ideal scenario, in reasonable families, you know, you can work it out and get a bit of... Um, cooperation and understanding but what happens when it comes to a bit of conflict so for example suppose you're um, a brother or a sister and you're you found somebody and your parents don't improve it, it, what, what do you do do you need their permission can you go ahead or how do you get around it depends issues? it depends on what is their objection is the objection a valid sharia reason or not you know is it because the person's so, so, so what, what so, would be valid Sharia? For example, the guy's irreligious. He's a fasir, right? Somebody you know drinks alcohol or something, or or something like that. Negligent, negligent in his uh, in his dean. So the father's got uh, an objection because he thinks this guy, you know, is not going to over a long term. He's going to he's not going to look after my daughter properly. That's a legitimate uh, reason. But if it's you know the guy, nothing wrong with the guy. Excellent character. Everyone who's um, he's spoken to about thumbs up, thumbs up. Everyone's thumbs up. The only objection is he's not from the same cast. That's not a Sharia reason to to reject somebody. But let me give you a scenario. Then suppose um, so Suppose a brother finds a sister who wears hijab, and she's good practicing sister, and the, and the family are actually not very religious, and they say actually. Not into all this hijab stuff, and you know, not particularly keen on this. What 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 should they do then? And the day look, um, the, the 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 deen is is uh, greater than anyone. There's a hadith that says, "La ta'ati lemakhlukin fi There is no obedience to the created where there is disobedience to the creator. So if they're asking you, no, we don't want a girl with a hijab. Well, hijab is a fundamental, it's a, it's a obligatory aspect of the deen. And so the brother would be in the in the right here to say, no, I want that. And then the person has to just put their foot down. Do they need permission from their parents to, to marry? Well, on a technical point, no. But that doesn't, I mean, as you know, there's certain things um, that might be permissible. It doesn't mean you just say, okay, that's permissible, that's I'm going to go and do it. So obviously my advice would always be, look, speak to your parents 
um, speak to somebody who can maybe like an imam or somebody that they would listen to, uh, maybe like a family elder, get them on your side and go and get them to speak to your parents and convince them. And if you can uh, bring it about, you know, just within the family, through family uh, connections, it's much better. But ultimately, if um, they're they're not going to um, they're not going to shift. I mean, especially for a male, and he can support his family and all the rest of it. He can just say, "Look, this is the person I want to marry." And the thing is, I would say in that kind of situation, you should get maybe some advice from outside because he might think there's no issues, but there actually might be issues. And it's not ideal. It's not an ideal situation because if there's bad relations between the girl and her in-laws from the beginning that's not a good um it's not a good foot to start off in because in the, the day you're going to have children that's going to be their that's going to be their grandfather grandmother that's going to be their uncle the cousins and these are relationships which you need around you and you know yourself you're a married man when you're young you think oh, it's fine i'll be fine but no you do need to you need a support mechanism you need family around you need other people around you so it is important to to understand that it's not the be and end all, but however, the family does play a, a big role and you do need to look at the type of family that you're marrying into. One thing is that obviously when people are starting to, are encouraged to do a bit of research about their potential spouses, um, and I know some people have said, look, you know, um, I need to know everything about this person's past because if, you know, it's about trust, isn't it? And if I find out something later on in life... Um, you know, five years into the marriage that, you know, there's skeletons in the closet, you know, that would really break me. So I need to know everything up front. And some people would say, actually, no, you know, if people have made mistakes and they've changed, then you, you can't ask that sort of stuff. So what would you say in terms of when you're looking for this spouse, you're doing your research, and suppose somebody says, actually, this person used to do this X, Y, or Z, and you should know about this. Is that something you should legitimately try and find out, or is it best not to? Um, so I've heard two opinions from scholars on this. Um, some ulama are of the opinion that, just like with any sin, when you make when you do a sin and you repent from it, you put it behind you, you put it in the past, and you don't talk about it, you don't bring it up. Um, and what we should do is just look at the, pe- the way people are now. So if somebody, I remember this happened um, in a case where um, a proposal would come, a rishta would come, and the guy. Ten years ago, was involved in drugs and went to prison for it. But what happened was he's a completely reformed character. So today he's not the person he was ten years ago. Um, so should that should that you know make a difference? Um, you know, and people are entitled to have a second chance at life. And I said, look, well, is the person completely changed and they've been like that for a while? Yeah. Well, you've got to take per- the person they are, the way they are now, and not where they were ten years ago. Um, so if it's uh, if it's like general sins like that, we look at the person the way they are. This the this the particular sin of fornication because it's intrinsically linked to the benefit of marriage. That's where I've heard two perspectives. One perspective is that, like again, it's like any other sin. If the person's repented, it was in the past, and they put it behind them and they change their ways. We look at the person the way they are, and they're they're um, not obliged to. They're not obliged to um, uh, say um, that they've sinned. Uh, the other perspective is that this particular sin, because it's got to do with the benefit of marriage, virginity, um, a person might not be as inclined to a non-virgin. Um, this should be disclosed. So I've heard these two perspectives um, from from Odama on this. 
And what about this aspect of you found somebody now and often, you know, you talked a bit about looking, matching up, you know, what each individual is looking for. And often, you know, in my experience, when people are looking, it's, it's very much a, a bit of a paper exercise to say, okay, does he pray, or for example, has he done this? Has he got a good job? Has he got a good education, good family? And this whole aspect of personalities often gets missed out. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, I guess, you know, especially in my line of work, is that you see people, I mean, people have very different temperaments and personalities. So you get some personalities who are quite sociable, extrovert, etc. You get some people who are very introvert. Um, and sometimes those personalities can often collide or conflict. Mm. And that almost is never talked about in terms of matching up the personalities. So how important is that um, in your experience? And what can people do around that? I mean, how do you get... So there might be, you know, often you see, you know, I know many cases where have been good practising brothers and sisters, very lovely individuals on both sides, but they just didn't get on for whatever reason. So this whole idea of personalities, can you talk, tell us a bit about what that is about, what we need to look for, what people should be think about. But practically, how do we start to match yeah. up these I personalities? Mean, I think compatibility is is important. And like you said, uh, personality comes into this. I th- I, this is where, I mean, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, and what what really, in terms of solution solutions as a, as a community, one obviously is education, which I'm already doing. But the other thing I'm thinking is that a follow-up from that should be that not only do we educate people, but we help people. So when they're engaged, we have some sort of premarital counselling where we sit with them, just ask them fundamental questions. And have you have you have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And um, what about this scenario? How would you look at that? How would you how would you look at that? And just basically from that and get out of them you know have they actually thought about this properly is it really the person to connect with asking them questions so I think sometimes having that extra support um, from to be honest there's so many things that we need in terms of support in our community now and this is why um, like I was saying to you um, you know we need to start understanding that there are needs in the community and they need to be properly funded and resourced and going forward, I mean, unless you, people want to accept the, the divorce rate the way it is, because it's, it's, it's if you're working in that field, it's crazy. Um, so if we're serious about trying to sort this out, then we have to realise there's a problem there. So the first thing is to understand there's a problem. So, um, yeah, personalities are important. And again, if, if they've done that uh, thing of understanding who they are as people, their values. So this is where I was talking about self-reflection. If you've done that self-reflection, you will know I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert. You you know, you will uncover all these things about you. So if you understand yourself better, then you will understand what type of person will fit with you and what type, and importantly what type of person probably will not fit with you. Um, but if that's not been done, then then you're like as you said, it's like a checklist. But like you said, you can have a checklist of all the right things. But your personalities are complete clashes and you're just not going to get on because of the personalities. So the personality thing needs to be really worked on. Um, and, yeah, you know, people can, can, can uh, meet and talk. But the problem is if the, if, the, if, the, if the speaking and conversation is not structured, it's just conversation. And you can go around conversations for a long time without understanding the person. So the, the, even the conversation, the questions have to be really tailored. Um, so that you can uncover what type of person am I dealing with here and is this the kind of person that I'm going to click with or not 
And one very small example could because I think often the other thing, both before marriage, but particularly an issue during marriage, is people's trajectory can change. Where one person can be start becoming a bit more religious, perhaps. Yep faster than the other one and so you know they're almost going in different lines and so in a very small example might be look does one of them like going to the cinema you know or going out for socializing and the other person really doesn't or does it disagrees with that so if if that's not addressed early on then that's going to lead to conflict isn't it because if it's a friday night saturday night and one of them saying look end of the week i had a tough week let's go to the cinema and the other one, actually, if it's Asian, they'll be midweek for the two-for-one meerkat codes, won't it? <laughs> so that's where you meet any Asians, really, that are Muslims that you haven't seen for a while. But, you know, then the, the other one will say, actually, no, I don't like going. And so then that leads to conflict and a bit of resentment, isn't it? So I think these things really, you know, need to be ironed out. But really, once we've found somebody, you know, when we hear a lot in the news about celebrities, you hear about these prenuptials, you know? you know, to protect wealth, etc. Is there any concept of having prenuptial agreements or prenuptial contracts before they get ma- people get married? Or is that really setting, you know, starting off on the wrong foot, saying, actually, this ain't going to work and I don't really trust you, and if it does, when it doesn't work, I've protected myself. So, Yeah, I mean, prenuptials... Islamically, is there... Yeah, I mean, there's two aspects. There's, there's the Islamic perspective, there's the legal perspective. In places like America, prenuptial agreements are enforced by law. In some European countries, it's the same, but in British law, it's not. So it's just a moral thing. It's not enforced. It's not enforceable. Um, that's the current law. If it changes, then it might change. I think there is a push towards that, but up until now, it's been resisted. In terms of Islamically, uh, the this, this obviously the four schools we have. Three of the four schools say that you shouldn't put any conditions. There should be no conditions in the the marriage uh, contract. The Hanbali school allows conditions to be put in uh, um, so that would be like a prenup but there's another way around it in the Hanafi school which is called Tafweed and Tafweed is where as we know divorce um, the husband can issue a divorce verbally but or written um, but he can also uh, transfer that right to the wife it's called Tafweed and this can be conditional so it could be so I had this case um Many years ago, in uh, from one of my friends in Cardiff, he's a chef, a scholar, and he said, "Look, got this, got this woman who wants to get married, but she had a really bad uh, first marriage. It was domestic abuse. She's considering marrying this guy, but he doesn't have a visa, and now she's just worried, just in the back of her mind, is he marrying her for a visa? And uh, she doesn't want to end up in the same situation she ended up the first time round. So because of the experience she had had, she wanted to put a condition in the contract to safeguard herself." Uh, he goes, what can we do? Because he's a Shafi. I said, well, well, you can't do it in the Shafi school. But I said, the way around it, in the Hanafi school, because they were, they were Hanafis, I said that she can uh, put a tafweed into the contract where she can make it conditional that if you ever are violent towards me, then I have the right to divorce myself. And then that way, if that ever happened, then she could divorce herself out of the situation and not be you know, uh, uh, led astray. Uh, or abused so in some situations it can work in some situations can work for 9 out of 10 cases people are going to get married in in good faith and it's probably not going to be as applicable but where there's a fear or there's a genuine concern then that is one way around it 
And what about this aspect of, because the whole courting process, you know, the, it's going to see a rishta and having your samosa and your, your cup of tea, right? Digestive, so digestives. Digestives, oh, that's, you can tell a lot from what biscuit you get served in it. Samosa and tea. If you get a bit of rasku, man, you know, they, they can tell they want you. No, no. So, uh, Just don't start dunking your rusk in the tea when you're there. That's not going to leave a good impression. So, you know. If, <laughs> then slurping your tea. <laughs> In the saucer, <laughs> but because um, that's a really artificial process, everyone's on their best behaviours, etc. And um, but that whole um, process is is often quite, you know, nobody talk, nobody really addresses the real underlying mm. nitty gritty issues. Do you want kids? Are you going to work? Are you going to live with our parents and stuff? So, what about this whole aspect of living with the outlaws? I mean, in laws, right? Is is an expectation. So is that an Islamic thing? That, look, you get married, so if it's my wife, you need to live with my mum and dad and me for the first few years, learn the habits of my household, um, understand our culture, and basically, from the wife's perspective, is live in torture for a couple of years, right, and can't wait to get out and constant argument with the mother-in-law. So, I mean, what's your advice around that? Because, you know, you can tell so many mother-in-law jokes, right, but the reality is... The in-laws is a massively big factor when marriages aren't working, aren't they? And often the guys stuck in the middle. Mum's saying, oh, Jannet's at my feet, you need to listen to me. Wifey's saying, I'm going to cut off your feet if you don't listen to me. <laughs> so well, Talk us through this whole idea of in-laws is, is a really toxic, difficult relationship. How do we make sense of it? How do we try and work something out around that? Yeah, so the first thing that you were talking about in terms of just going around for samosa and tea, I mean, I've mentioned this before that, you know, the way things are going, it's not so, that's not working anymore and we have to get beyond a superficial meeting. So if people need to meet more than once, it's fine. I mean, they need to... I'd rather people ask all the questions they need to ask, you know, take their time, not be rushed into anything and make a proper decision rather than rushing into something. The worst thing I hate is when I've got a couple, six months, a year later, and um, you're asking questions, and just as you rewind the tape, it's so obvious that they didn't, they rushed into it, they didn't, they didn't ask, so there's certain, certain things I'll ask, um, oh, did you not ask this question? No, I didn't. Did you not ask this question? No, I didn't. So, so many questions, you'll be surprised. The, how people get married these days, they don't ask so many, there's so many questions that you would think are obvious, people don't ask them for whatever reason it is, so definitely people should not rush, they should take the time. And in terms of the in-laws question is, uh, I mean, Islamically there's no obligation to, to live with the in-laws, but like I said before, just because something is permissible or you don't have to do it doesn't mean you don't do it. So, um, I mean, the husband uh, only needs to provide the base, you know, minimum for food and drink, but if he just brings you know, the cheapest um, bread that he can find in the, su- in the supermarket. You know, goes at night time, gets all the 10p ones and uh, gets some cheese or something and just says, OK, there you go. The wife's not going to be happy because, yes, I mean, in terms of the bare, bare minimum, yeah, he's he's technically, he's ticked that box off, but that's not the spirit of marriage. So a lot of people do live with the in-laws um, because, you know, they they were they had that kind of um, upbringing themselves. What I tend to say to people is, um, 
that's fine. If you want to live with your, your in-laws, that's fine to begin with. Um, everybody wants a happy household. However, you should always have that discussion with the person that, okay, I'm willing to live with your family, but if things don't work out, if we're at each other's throats, we just want to kill each other, do you accept that we should move out? So get that agreement from the beginning uh, because people will do that. People will say, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to live with your, your mother. But then that's it. They, they don't ever think things might not work out. So I always say to them, did you not say? And they say, no, I didn't. I say, well, you should ask that question that, look, I'm fine. I'll, I'll do it. But if things don't work out, are you happy that we move out? And you really should get that agreement because you don't know how the future will pan out. It's interesting. That's often, you know, any informal advice I give, you know, any newly married couples, if they ask me, is I say, don't think you're never going to move out. What you need to work out is when's the right time to move out. Because it's inevitable at some stage, in many cases, unless it's, you know, majority, you have to stay for parents are elderly, you have to look after them. You're going to have to leave. It's best to leave at the right time on the right terms rather than everything's become so messy, so, you know, relations have broken down. And naturally, you know, even if you stay till you have some kids, you know, it's going to, the house is going to be, get busy at some stage, you're going to have to move out. So it's almost a matter of timing, not, you know, sometimes people have a very unrealistic view saying, actually, I'm going to stay at home forever, you know, and that's it, and you're going to live with my parents and stuff. So um, and if there's it's a, a tricky one. If there's, if there's several siblings in, the parents can, you know, visit. Um, like have a spare room or something and then come stay a few days uh, with one one kid and then stay a few days with a kid and, you know, so they kind of shade out like that. Just by extension, Sheikh, um, we're getting a few questions in anonymously. Um, I take it, you know, as you've mentioned, these things need to be discussed prior to getting married. But there's questions coming in about chores, about the husband doing... Well, not doing chores, rather. Again... It's just extending that to not just discussing where you're living and arrangements regarding that, but also about every aspect of your life, working, chores as well, financial. These things should be discussed beforehand and not after you've got married because it seems to be a theme that, you know, the expectations from the husband or the expectations of the wife, the, 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 the partner or the spouse doesn't know what to expect. Yeah, you should, you should know what you're getting yourself in for. Because the understanding should be, I'm in this for life. So if you're going to be doing this for the next 40 years of your life, then you should know what you're getting yourself in for. So you should you should know what your expectations are as a wife. Uh, the, the husband should know what his expectations are as a husband. Uh, if there's family expectations, um, then the girl should ask, what is your family's expectations of me as a daughter-in-law, etc. Get as much information as you can because you want to make an informed decision. Okay, I mean, there's um, other questions to do specifically with, like, changing daughters' nappies. I think some dads have some issues with that. Is there anything which would prohibit that? Is it the dads that got the issues or the mums that got issues? The mums got the issue that the father refuses to... What's the problem? He just refuses to change the, the daughter's nappy. Cause, oh, he ref- Yeah. She's got an issue that he's refusing? Yeah. Mm. I mean, um, look, end the day, there's, if you want to go down... You know what are what's the thick element of it? What's the legal, um, the bare minimums? Right, that's one one way to go. However, what you should, when it comes to marriage, you should look at is the, what is the spirit of marriage. So, if you look at the Prophet Sallam, the Hadith in Bukhari is fi mahnati ahlihi that he was the Prophet Sallam was 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 always helping out in the house. 
he would sweep the floor. He would um, just basically help out in the house. So that was the Prophet the, the best of all creation. So the idea is you're supposed to help out. Um, the wife's supposed to help out. The husband's supposed to help out. You're supposed to help each other out. Um, now, uh, in terms of... Because uh, the reason I was asking you the question because there's some women uh, that, that seem to uh, think that it's not permissible for the father to change, especially a girl's uh, nappy. That's why I was asking you for clarification. Um, I mean, it's permissible. And um, look, any guy uh, doesn't want to see the sight of poo. Um, it's not the most exciting thing in the world that you, especially if you just had your dinner. It's not the most exciting <laughs> thing in the world that you want to so look That sounds at. like you're talking from experience here, Shay. Uh, well, you know... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had twins, you know, so I was kind of forced to 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 do that. Because, you had no yeah, option in it. You yeah, you can can do one at least. You can leave the the wife by herself in it. Um, but you know, it's it's very different because say my granddad, I'm sure he's never changed a nappy in his life. Apparently, my dad changed one nappy once, and that was me, and he did that the wrong way round. Um, so that and then that was five kids. So you know, it's a cultural shift. Um, of what the expectations of a husband were in the past and what they are now. So, if it's um, if it's you know because it's uh, a lot of work, you know that the wife's out or something, and your and your your baby's done a poo, then it's not very fatherly to let your baby run about in poo for a couple hours just because you don't want to change the the nappy. In life, you got to do things that you don't really. Um, you don't really, uh, you know, uh, get excited about it. I remember um, one day my wife had gone, and so my kids are all under five, so um, I think it was by 11 o'clock I changed two nappies and uh, washed two bottoms, and and uh, what happened was that uh, Scotland had beat... Who did they beat? Scotland had... had, had Scotland doesn't often beat anyone. Yeah, they, they beat, they beat um, Ireland in the rugby, so I put a Facebook status, I said it's been, it's been a day of... It's been a, no, I was a WhatsApp and message. I said it's been a day of ups and downs. I had to wash five bottoms, but Scotland won the, the rugby. Umran, <laughs> we've got another comment. Uh, yeah, so basically, the question regarding finding the balance between telling um, or making public the fact that you're engaged, I'm reading from this, and protecting yourself from another as opposed to gossip, or should you only tell people who are close to you or trusted during, I'm assuming it's referring to the engagement period? The engagement, the, 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 there's two purposes behind the engagement. First of all, the, the engagement is only a promise. It's not, it doesn't have any value in terms of legal value, although if there is exchange uh, exchange of gifts and stuff, there are, there are some readings regarding that. But one of the purposes of khitbah is, the engagement is to, to allow people to know that these two people are getting married. And so then when that happens, then it, it means that other people will not come forward to propose because there is prohibition that once uh, a rishta is done that another person doesn't propose somebody should not propose on the proposal of his brother and there's one of the questions that uh, in the list that you had there was about um, you know can you propose to somebody who've, who's consented and the answer is no you can't so the purpose of the, ma- of the engagement is to allow people to know these people get married and then it, it means that other people don't come forward to propose. So that at least you have to go on to redo Ramadan and announce it, but at least your family, your close friends, your cousins and stuff, they, these people should know it. I mean, why are you keeping it a secret? Eventually they're going to get 
they're going to get married. I don't understand why. Would you want to keep it a secret? Okay. If people want to gossip, yeah. people gossip anyway. Another question has come in um, from a female uh, sister. It says, can you read your nikah and stay at your parents' house and then move in with your husband after due to family commitments? As long as not 20 years later. <laughs> I, um, but yeah, th- this, um, this is another, um, again, uh, phenomena that you're probably seeing a lot more of is people get the nikah done. Um, however, they don't live together until six months or a year later. And um, personally, I don't, I, I'm actually quite in favour of this because what happens is a lot of people will want to get married, but their parents say, no, you need to finish your education or it's training or, like they said, there's family commitments. But then what happens is th- those young people, they end up talking to each other, they end up going out with each other. So rather than them getting involved in anything sinful behaviour, it's better that the nikah is read. Nikah is going to take five minutes. So nikah's done, it's a contract, they're married. So if they do meet up, if they do talk to each other, it's fine, they're married. If they want to then um, not do the, what's called the rukhsati or living together until a, six months later or a year later or two years later or three years later for whatever reasons, studies, um, you know, whatever it is, then inshallah there's, that's a lot better, a lot better situation than having a long engagement where they're going out and they're behaving like a mad couple when they're not because that's, that's they're going to fall into selfful behaviour. But Sheikh, I want to focus on two aspects at least in the next you know, 20 minutes or so. And the first one is really intimacy. So I guess the, the whole aspect of once you're married is maintaining a healthy marriage and, um, you know, there's a very common saying about, you know, having the seven-year itch. You kind of get used to each other, and at that point, you kind of grow apart or get bored of each other, you know, to, as the spark gone. So, could you could you comment a bit about how do you maintain that healthy relationship? And also, I guess, um, how important is this aspect of intimacy? And I know it's not something people particularly feel they can talk about or seek advice about. Obviously, the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife is such an important aspect as well. So could you share some of your thoughts around these areas? Yes, yeah, so I think um, it's, it's um, extremely important intimacy, extremely important part of um, the, the married uh, couple's life. Like you said, you don't, after a period of time, you will become accustomed to the person. And um, like I said, if you're if you're only in it for the looks, then eventually the reason for being the marriage will go. So it's one aspect of the marriage, but it should not be the fundamental aspect. There should be other more important things. And so if it's if there's other things which are there and they're still there, then obviously the reason for being the marriage is still going to remain. In terms of physical attraction, I mean, there's a a, a narration of Ibn Abbas. And uh, he was seen kind of looking in the mirror and, you know, he's like grooming himself, you'd say. And uh, they asked him, like, what, what are you doing? Like, and he said, I am beautifying myself just the way I would like my wife to beautify herself for me. So it's a two-way process. And unfortunately, one of the things that we don't understand is the high rank that your spouse has in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is somebody that... For example, you're, uh, you have no aura in front of them. You know, other people, there's a certain part of the body you need to cover. You Even in your parents, um, you can't show them certain parts of your body. The one person you can show every part of your body to is your spouse. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how does he describe them? Hunna libasun lakum wa antum libasun lahun. They are garments for you and your garments for them. So it's a very close, very intimate relationship and that's the way it should be. 
So that indicates to you um, how important that physical proximity is. Now, uh, going back to that thing of what Ibn Abbas was saying when he looked in the mirror and said, I adorn myself uh, for my wife because I, I like her, I want her to adorn herself for me. One of the problems that we have is that we, after a period of time, we get comfortable with our spouse and we stop making an effort for for them. Not understanding that this, if you do make an effort, it will be something that's rewarded. So when do most people make an effort um, uh, about how they look? Uh, well, either they're going out, out to work um, or usually it's for a social function. So it's a dinner or a wedding. What happens? The women get themselves dolled up. The husbands get their best suits out. You know, the, the, uh, these days some guys even do facials. And let's not get into that. Um, but you know this is this is what happens. So what happens is, what is the message you're you're sending out? You're sending out that I'm I'm ready to beautify myself for the world. But I'm not ready to beautify myself for you because when you come home, you get back in your gym jams, your tracksuit bottoms, the makeup comes off, the hair goes everywhere. Do you understand? So the point is that the one person you're supposed to make all that effort for, you don't, and the people you're not supposed to make the effort for. You know, you do. So it's the other way around. What you should be doing is, in your home, you should actually uh, try to beautify yourself for the sake of your spouse. And it's a two-way thing, not just a, for for males, but uh, but for females uh, as well. And the thing is, uh, and I, I talk about this in the, in the marriage course, if you look at all the research that's done, men are more visual beings than, than women. That's just proven. So... Um, it's very important for women, so to speak, not to let themselves go. In other words, take care of, especially when you have children, you have children, it becomes tiring, you maybe start working out, you start eating all sorts of stuff. You can, you can easily let yourself physically go. It's very important to um, re- try to remain in good physical condition for both uh, couples. So really there just should be a bit more effort uh, what happens is because you're in your house, it's all right if my hair's all over the place, it's all right if I haven't, if I look a mess, nobody's there. And we're all guilty of it. Every single one of us guilty, is guilty of it. Uh, but this is where we all need to put that extra bit of effort in. And also, you know, um, I two things I would say, um, try to keep things alive. So, you know, just if you've been wearing the same aftershave, I would say, for the last 15 years, change it. You know, you don't have to just keep buying Old Spice. You can buy Brut, for example, yeah? <laughs> um, and the other thing is that sometimes, as they say, that distance makes the heart grow fonder. So to have a break from each other is actually good. So get away. Um, I mean, I, I, I get a lot of breaks because I go away to teach or I might go on Hajj or something. And then you see your wife after three weeks or four weeks, you're happy to see each other because you've been away. So what's been happening and blah, blah. If you're always with each other all the time, you, you, it's human nature, you start getting each other's nerves. So having a bit of distance is actually a, a good thing. And uh, what can you do if um, one spouse has a different libido in terms of their sex drive than the other? So I suppose one is um, particularly... <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing, Shay. It's an important issue because I guess in some relationships... Um, the, the disparity <laughs> Sheikhs get carried away here um, No but that's often a reality And that leaves a bit of conflict doesn't it In terms of um, if one Person in the marriage is not satisfied With the level of intimacy compared to the other um, This is something that, that obviously Both couples have to negotiate They have to it's One of the things that, that, that Especially in this area in intimacy 
But this, um, I guess this whole aspect of intimacy is really important, isn't it? And I think there's one that's not talked about, and I guess it's on a wider point, sh- should we not talk about it? Or is it important to talk no, about it? No, I think we should. We ha- I think the thing is, I think it's got to a point where we have to talk about these things because we've gone, I think we've gone beyond um, trying to not address things, and not addressing things doesn't really get us anywhere. Um, so I think intimacy is still one of those things which is a bit taboo. People are a bit uncomfortable even to hear about it or talk about it. But um, let's face it, we live in a highly sexualized society where um, sex is pushed down your throat, whether it's through um, TV, whether it's through songs, whether it's through whatever medium it is. And so if people are not satisfied in their marital lives, if they go outside that, it leads to adultery, it leads to fornication, and that obviously has a detrimental effect on society. So it has to be a place where they both can um, mutually satisfy each other. Now, what I was going to say was before was there has to be um, good communication within, with intimacy because it's a taboo thing. If one of them maybe is frustrated or it's um, not satisfied, they, they may not or have difficulty trying to communicate to that communicate that to the other person. So communication's got to be really important. I always say to people, if you can't, you can't, if you can't talk about it, then you know there's lots of ways now. You can you can message each other. You can write an email. You can put in a letter. Whatever way you feel comfortable of explaining how you're feeling. If the other person doesn't know how you're feeling, how are they going to address it? And it's about each um, each spouse understanding the needs of the other person and that I have a responsibility to help um, in, the, in the needs of uh, my partner. And, and you get rewarded for it. There's a reward for every single time you do this. There's a hadith where the Prophet says to the Sahaba, uh, that in the private parts of your your spouses is sadaqah. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, how do we get rewarded for, for having intimacy with our, our spouses? And the Prophet says, if you engaged in haram uh, activities like fornication, would they be sin? And they said, yes. He said, well, if there's sin for doing it the wrong way, then there has to be reward for doing it the right way. So intimacy, being intimate with your, your partner, and uh, over and above that, trying your best to take care of their physical needs, is a huge reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, people vary you know people people's needs are, are are varied like you said some people have a high sex drive some people have a low sex drive and there has to be somewhere in the middle they have to meet so I had a couple where um, the sister sister had a very low sex drive and the husband I, would, I don't think, I wouldn't say it's high but um, see this it was it wasn't they weren't uh, at the same level and, and we had to compromise we had to say look okay what do you think is reasonable she said once a month and I said, what do you think is reasonable? And he said, well, I think once a week. So I basically got them to compromise. Okay, let's meet in the middle once every fortnight. You know, so there's, 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 there's ways of trying to, you know, a bit of a bit of give and take from both sides and you can come to some sort of solution. And I appreciate it's a very sensitive topic, but I think if we don't address these issues, people will get the information from elsewhere, isn't it, Sheikh? So it's better they get information from a good source. But, uh, you know, in this, um, before we move on to our next topic, in this whole aspect of intimacy, are there things that you are not allowed to do between a husband and wife, and what can you do in terms of relationships? I mean, the general principle—the general principle is that um, uh, you are allowed to enjoy your spouse in every way that you would like to. Uh, there are obviously. 
prohibitions and the prohibition is anal intercourse which is, is haram in the, according to the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah but you know other other forms of enjoyment um, as long as there's nothing impermissible that there's, there's no impure fluids um, that are swallowed and things like that then it's uh, generally uh, open Okay, so let's spend the last part of the show on divorce and obviously with this whole topic so you could spend days on them but I guess this uh, one question we've got from one of the listeners is there grounds for divorce if one spouse had an affair and not entirely corrected the behaviour after this so we'll talk a bit about divorce etc but on this particular question to get us going I mean, what's, what are the issues around this and how, how should uh, somebody deal with that um, I mean, it is grounds for divorce because it's immoral behaviour. But we have to really explore how did that happen? What were the circumstances that led to that? Like I said, we were talking about before about intimacy. If if one person's not satisfied or has a high sex drive and the other person doesn't understand that, is that what's led to it? Is it that they're unhappy, they're, they don't feel they're getting enough attention and they're getting, enough, and they're getting attention from someone else from outside? Was Is that the cause? There can be a number of reasons or causes of, of why this is happening. So first thing would be, why has it happened? And secondly, if they're not correcting the behaviour, why are they not correcting the behaviour? I would say that they sense something not right with that relationship. There's something they're, they're, that person's not happy with. just wanted to ask um, with regards to um, when to throw the towel in, because some people I know, the grounds for divorce or the reasons for divorce seems to be minor, something that could potentially be worked out. So at what point... Is there, you know, what what point do we say, you know, this is not going to work and we're going to go our separate ways? How long should you persist and trying to make? If it's it minor, they should get they should get like um, outside help to help them discuss these things, because they might regret it. They might go for. It. I know people who have got divorced. Uh, I remember, I'm thinking of one case where sister was divorced twice, and and she said that. Um, I wish I'd worked at my first marriage more. She goes, the second one was a mistake, but she goes, the first one I think I could have, if I'd just worked hard a bit more. So you don't want to be hasty, and uh, divorce is not, it's divorce should be a last resort after you've tried everything. So you try reconciliation, you try and work things out, and if it's untenable, then you can look at divorce. But ultimately, the question comes down to, is there, I mean, is there potential for this marriage to to last the ground? Because, like I said, you go in with with it with a view of being it for for life. If you feel that, yeah, we can work things out and we can be together, I could see myself living with this person next twenty thirty years, fine. But if you're, if it's like um, uh, a disaster from the word go, and um, you just hate each other's guts and it's just problem after problem, you just can't see eye to eye. And you cannot see yourself being with that person for 30 years. In other words, your problems are so acute that you don't feel that you can overcome them to be with that person for that amount of time. In other words, you feel that eventually you're going to break or eventually they're going to break or eventually you run out of steam. Then that situation, is it better to get divorced after a year when there's no children or is it better to get divorced in six years' time when there's three kids involved? You know, And that's a decision that they have to really decide. So they have to look at everything and look at, um, you know, on the balance of, of everything, is it better on the balance of everything? There's pros and cons, but is it better to be out of the marriage or is it better to be in the marriage? And if divorce does take place, that's another thing. We have to accept that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made divorce permissible. It's not haram, it is permissible. 
Um, and it's, he's made it permissible for a reason. And he's made it permissible because, in his divine wisdom, he knows that sometimes it just doesn't work out. People just don't get along. It's just not meant to be. You look at Sahaba, they're the best of people after the prophets. Many of them got divorced and got remarried. So, you know, if it's not worked out with this person, you know, it shouldn't be that, you know, that's it, your life's over. No, okay, you didn't work out with this person. You try to divorce in amicable terms. Um, there's no need to and tell everybody what happened and the other person tells everyone, no, it was like this and like that and fight out in, in public. No, just say, didn't think, didn't, things didn't work out. Went your own separate ways. Khalas, you go and marry someone else, you go and marry someone else, maybe it'll work out with someone else. And this getting such a is a such a widespread issue, and in, in, even in in the, the sort of the general population, um, they're saying you know divorces are highest among people in their forties, and the average the median sort of duration of a marriage is about eleven to twelve years. So you know it's not necessarily all in the first or second year, and uh, I think about a third of marriages ended by the time they reached their fifteen year anniversary. Okay, so it's quite, you know, about a third of marriages aren't lasting more than 15 years. And uh, so, so, you know, that's in the general population, even in the Muslim population, you kind of see a lot of these issues. And marriage itself, and that start, remember, people don't get as married as, as much as well yeah. because a lot of people cohabit, so that's quite a starking. Uh, uh, you were telling me this anecdote about a caterer, what a wedding caterer told, told you quite an interesting Statistic. Yeah, so so um, one of the one of the persons actually sent me something. They were having a discussion with one of the um, caterers, and um, this caterer basically said that out of the twenty five um, weddings that they had done that year, seventeen had ended in uh, in divorce. Seventeen out of twenty five. Seventeen out of twenty five, which is um, it's quite astonishing. They're not cheap these weddings, are they? They're not, but this is the thing that, you know, it's, the, having big flash weddings is not what makes li- marriages last. Um, you know, it's... And the thing is, you know, people... I mean, I've... <laughs> a couple of recently, just, I was at a wedding and the 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 guy on stage, the, the groom was... You know, had the mic and he was saying, you know, uh, to the to the father-in-law, I, I, I love your daughter and, you know, I want to be the best husband and... Speeches like that doesn't mean anything, right? Because you don't even live with the, with the girl, right? You don't even know what it's going to be like. Don't make all these, you know, statements. We, you know, th- this this doesn't happen in the past. There's no need for it. That's not what makes makes marriages work. What makes marriages work is from the beginning. Have you done all the research? Have you looked into this properly? Have you thought about it properly? And then, as you know, marriage is hard work. It's not easy. It's not you snap your fingers and everything's going to be okay. No, you will have your ups and downs. You will have times where, you know, you get in your the other person's nerves. They get in your nerves. There'll be times that you let each other down. These are part and parcel of relationships. They go up and down, but you have to work at it. And when marriages aren't working, as you said, it is permissible. I mean, what are the steps that need to be taken um, to end that marriage? So if, if a marriage is not working out and they're going to proceed to divorce, what are the steps a couple need to take? Allah says in the Quran, uh, that If you fear discord between them, then send a mediator from her side, send a mediator from his side. 
If they want to be reconciled, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring uh, tawfiq between them. So the way to look at it is if they get to a point where they're contemplating divorce, they should get other people involved. If they can't resolve it, then go to maybe a, a third party who's not connected to them. And then make sure that they've actually thought about everything before they make that decision so there's no regrets. And do you want to talk about the actual process of what they need to do? You know, we hear a lot in the news, uh, three talaqs and all that whole issue. I mean, what what is the proper way of, or what's the best way of doing it? And what's the thinking behind that? Because the idea, from my understanding, is opportunities to go back, isn't it, and, and so, think twice. Yeah, so the, the, probably the biggest misconception um, that we have in our community, um, in, many, in nearly every a different area I can think of is this idea that you have to give talaq three times. You don't have to give talaq three times. In fact, it's, it's considered to be haram to do so. It's considered to be the worst type of talaq to give. It's actually called in Arabic or in fiqh terms, talaq al-bid'ah. Um, it's the worst type to give. What, say, what they say is ahsan al-talaq or the sunnah, uh, talaq al-sunnah, is to give um, the person one divorce. Because if you give somebody one divorce, a still divorce still takes place, but it gives you the opportunity that if you reconcile, you can get back together. Um, if you give three talaqs on three separate occasions, then everybody says the, the marriage is over, you need to go now marry someone else. If three talaqs are given at one instance, according to the four schools, it counts as three. There is an opinion by Ibn Taymiyyah, it counts as one. So again, you're on shaky, shaky grounds again. Um, but if there's anything that you, you know people can understand from the the whole chapter of divorce is one thing: you do not have to give three talaqs. One talaq is more than sufficient. If you are contemplating it, you should go go and see an imam, go and speak to somebody. I think in Central Mosque they give you like a a, a form, which has got it all written out for you. Just put your name in and it ensures that you only give one talaq, and it's and it's written writing. So it means that it's all above board. It gives you that scope that if things do improve or you want to get married, then you could get uh, we can get uh, back together again. And what about the interplay between religious divorce and a sort of civil law sort of thing? So should you give your religious divorce first and then get lawyers to sort out so, all the legal stuff? Or yes. How should it work? So there's three, there's three situations where it does a, a legal divorce count as an Islamic divorce is a critical question. In two situations it does, one situation it doesn't. So there's three scenarios. One scenario is the husband uh, initiates the civil process so he serves the Islamic uh, or he serves the divorce papers or the wife serves the divorce papers and the husband agrees, signs them, agrees to it. In both circumstances um, he will, the, the Islamic divorce will take place when you get the civil divorce through because the husband consented to it and by giving consent it's as if he's made the court his agent in issuing a divorce on his behalf. The situation where um, it doesn't count is where um, she has initiated the process, served the divorce papers, it's come through and he's not signed them, he's not consented to it and the court's gone ahead and just divorced him. In that situation you need a separate Islamic divorce. Okay. Sheikh, we're coming towards the end of our time. We've covered quite a lot of topics, ranging from finding a spouse, um, what are the factors we should be looking for, you know, some aspects of maintaining a healthy relationship and intimacy, talking about when marriages don't work and divorce. Um, 
could you just sum up really in a few words in terms of what advice would you give the listeners in this whole area of marriage? Because it's obviously, you know, it's such a big issue in one's life. It can either make you or break you, isn't it? I mean, either if it's not working out, it's really traumatic for everyone involved, extended families. It is really causes fractures, you know, breaks people apart for, for many, many years. For some people, it's the happiest thing that could happen with them. And inshallah, you know, there's blessing in it and so much benefit. So what advice would you leave the listeners with um, in this whole domain? And obviously we're going to touch on some further aspects next weekend. But in terms of the things we've talked about, what advice could you give the listeners? I think um, don't take this lightly. Don't think that it can't happen to you. Um, don't uh, go into a marriage without doing your homework. Prepare as much as you can. Research as much as you can. Think about things. Um, you know, al shaitan hadith says, haste is from shaitan. Don't be hasty. Don't rush into anything. Um, those who are married, when things are starting to go wrong, go and seek advice. Don't wait until there's a big problem. Because once it gets to a, it gets to such a problem, such an extent where the problem's too big, it becomes almost um, very difficult for anybody to try and reverse it. So don't let it get to that point. Marriage is is not easy. It's is difficult, but you know, earning a earning a living, running a business, you know, other things in life require effort. So we know that we have to put in effort for things to to flourish. Marriage is the same thing. No one's going to come along and wave a wand and make your marriage better. The pair, people are going to make your marriage better as you and your partner. So it really comes from yourself. There's no point blaming other people. You have to look inward and try to, um, as a couple, I mean, I had a couple the other day, and I said, look, at the end of it, I just said, look, forget everybody. Forget your families, forget all the other people involved in this. It's you two. If you two cannot make this work, all these other uh, people that you're bringing into the equation are irrelevant. Because if you can't make it work, then everything is not going to work. So I said, forget everybody else. Just focus on you two as a couple. Can you resolve your issues? Once you resolve your issues, then we'll look at the, the rest. So in other words, you're primary, everyone else is secondary. So sometimes it's about focusing on themselves and not getting carried away with she said this and he said that and you know I don't get on with his mom and all the rest of it. These are all secondary th- relationships. The primary relationship is the couple themselves. And although you don't offer sort of an emergency service, but people can get hold of you and contact you, um, could you just advise people how they can? Yes, so um, people can contact me through Unity Family Services. Um, there's an email on the website and they just ask for an appointment. Then we'll ask a certain que- a few questions. The email comes through to me. and then uh, It's quite a confidential service. It's very confidential. No one, no one sees the, the, the answers to those questions apart from me. And then I will advise what the next um, uh, stages are. I do run regular courses, a pre-marriage course and a marriage course. And uh, sometimes I ask people if they, why they've not attended, they say, oh, I'm embarrassed because people might think I've got problems. And, you know, like I say, look, it's like any, like, prof- like you have careers, you have a continuous professional development. What do you do? What do you do these courses for? Because it's ongoing training. It's to increase your skill set, to become better at what you do. So if you're happy in your marriage, don't you want to be happier? If you're happy in your marriage, don't, you know, rest in your loyals. Things can happen very quickly. So... Come to the course and you'll learn about what makes uh, marriages work, what are the things to look out for, so inshallah you don't fall into that. Uh, and do you have any rough idea when the next ones are? The next, the, uh, the next marriage course will be in August, inshallah, the 20th of August. I'm just arranging that and I'll put it onto my Facebook once it's... Thank you so much, Sheikh Amr, for spending 
your valuable time in this area, which is your expertise, and you spent a lot of years studying for this. Uh, and we hope it's been beneficial. And the idea is obviously just to give you, the listeners, a taste of some of the issues um, that you know people have been contacting us about, and obviously really encourage people to you know prepare themselves and by attending some of these courses or there's lots of other sort of courses available is to educate yourself around these issues because these are not quick issues you need to think about them you need to digest things you need to think about yourself you know it's a bit, it's a bit digging deep yeah you know really dig, digging deep in your soul and seeing the issues that are out there um but jazakallah khair so tomorrow's cradle to the grave with sheikh amr is on parenting there's further details on our Facebook and you can again send us questions anonymously, there's a form link available so please do send in your questions and you can also submit questions for next week next week we're going to talk a bit about uh, marriages part 2, so things like forced marriages, uh, domestic violence, domestic abuse So Jazakallah khair, um, please remember Sheikh in, in your du'as may Allah continue to give him strength